Welcome to episode 117 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I'm a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book called Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. At the Engineering Management Institute, we believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better. Get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we publish this free podcast to help you do just that. In this episode, I will be visiting with Tracy Bratton, PE, who is the Land Development Division Manager at Doucette & Associates based in Austin, Texas. I did do this interview on site and we are publishing this on YouTube as well as iTunes. Tracy has over 20 years of broad-based project management and technical design experience. This experience ranges from civil infrastructure, site development, subdivisions, roadway, and CIP projects to overall project management responsibility for multi-million dollar projects. He also has extensive background coordinating the interest of varied stakeholders, including clients, regulatory, reviewing entities, and the public to successfully achieve the project goals. Doucette & Associates offers consulting, civil engineering design, GIS, mapping, entitlement, procurement services, and surveying expertise for a full range of projects, large and small, private and public. Before we get started with the interview, and it was a good one with Tracy, he gave some really practical advice, which I'm a huge fan of, as you probably know by now if you're a listener to the podcast. But before we dive in here, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, by asking you to listen up later on in this podcast for my advice on how to advance your career in 2019. I'll be sharing info on where to find practical tips and time-tested resources for your civil engineering licensure exam. Plus, I'll share details on an exciting discount opportunity so you can be fully prepared for exam day. Don't miss it. I also want to mention that we've gotten some feedback from listeners and some requests for engineers in government to come on the podcast. And so I've already booked a couple of interviews, but I'm looking for more. If you know of an engineer in government that would make for a good interview on the Civil Engineering Podcast, feel free to email me, afasano at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. So look out for those interviews coming up. We're also going to be visiting the ASCE Structures Congress and doing an episode from there. So excited about that. And lastly, I want to remind you that we're currently in the midst of a Kickstarter campaign called The Business of Engineering that you can find at bizofengineering.com. That's B-I-Z of engineering.com. And please take a look at this campaign. This is a young engineer named Matt Lowe's. He's a podcast listener of ours. He wrote a book. He wanted to publish it. He asked me for advice on how to publish it. And when I read this book, I said, we're going to publish it. The Engineering Management Institute is going to publish it because I believe engineers of any experience level, especially civil engineers, can take the information in this book and leverage it. And even though Matt's young, he paid attention to successful people around him, successful engineers, and also did his own research. And he put it into this amazing framework that he put in the book. 
But not only can you get the book by going to bizofengineering.com, but we decided to make this a campaign around professional development for engineers. So if you're an engineering student, you can get access to our resume and interview course to help you nail your next job interview, and you'll get the book as one of the rewards. If you're a recent graduate, you can get our goal-setting and decision-making course with the book. If you're an engineering manager or aspiring manager, you can get the engineering management accelerator course with the book. Now, this is an important one because we have the next session of the, our engineering management accelerator workshop starting May 16th. So you can actually purchase the live access to that live one through the Kickstarter campaign at a great discount. So please, again, check it all out at bizofengineering.com and please consider supporting Matt's book and also investing in yourself. All right, so now it's time to dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Anthony Fasano from the Engineering Management Institute, and I'm excited to be here at Doucette & Associates in Austin, Texas, and I'm here with Tracy Bratton. Tracy, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Good morning, Anthony. Tracy, I'm excited to be here. I want to dive in and we're going to talk a little bit about your career path and give some good tips to these engineers mm-hmm. listening. But before we do that, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about Doucette & Associates. Sure. Uh, Doucette & Associates was founded in 1992 by Amy and John Doucette. And the company's focus at that time was primarily uh, commercial retail development. Okay. And the primary work they did was for what we refer to as big box retailers. So sure. Walmart, Home Depots, grocery stores, things like that. Uh, they did that for a number of years. Uh, the company branched out into other areas of land development, uh, single-family residential subdivisions, uh, projects like that. Uh, Over time, established uh, services in water resources as well as geospatial Mm. surveying. And late last year, late 2018, we reorganized the company in a market segment approach rather than having geographic-based organization of the company. And so right now, our market sectors are land development, uh, geospatial, uh, public works, and construction. And those that move was to align our delivery of services with uh, the types of clients we serve and why it is they buy our services. Sorry, I left out a division, transportation, and okay. that's actually a, a, the most, the fastest growing division. So five divisions. Five divisions. That's great. And that does sound like from a strategy standpoint, it's a little bit easier, a little more focused because you have yes. these different segments. And like you said, you can map them to your clients and their desires and their yeah. needs, which sounds great. So what is your specific role here at Doucette Associates? I'm the division manager of land development. So okay. I'm in charge of land development in, in all of our offices. In all of your offices. So for that land development sector, yes. you're in charge of that. Okay, yes. great. Let's jump into your career now because I know you've been in land development for about 15 years, but mm-hmm. it took you a little while to get there in your career. Yes. So take us through the – start with the beginning of your career. Mm-hmm. Take us through that. So I started off with a company in Houston that was primarily focused on serving in the environmental sector. And specifically, I was doing design uh, – remedial design of Superfund sites. So these are some of the most polluted sites in the country, polluted with all kinds of nasty chemicals and involved in the cleanup of those. Uh, In some places it was actually cleaning them up, uh, did bioremediation designs to use biological methods to remediate sites, to encapsulating things in place so they wouldn't migrate other places, to cleaning things out and moving them somewhere else to dispose of them. That experience was very formative. It, it certainly learned some things that relate to traditional civil and the 
engineering in the process, but primarily the things I learned were communication skills. Mm -hmm. uh, these were projects that were very public. There was a high component of public involvement. There was a high level of scrutiny. Um, had to deal with people in those projects right. that were, you know, elevated emotional states. They're, they're very concerned, sometimes very legitimately concerned. Sometimes they were concerned because they were misinformed and uh, became very important to learn to communicate in, in a calm and rational method. Uh, it was also very important to be accurate because uh, people were fact-checking everything you said and everything mm -hmm. you said needed to be very accurate. And, and so those were very formative experiences in my career. Yeah, no, that's great. And I just want to follow up on that because in my experience as a civil engineer with other civil engineers, I think what Tracy is saying is you know, we have to, I want to reemphasize it because those two things are critical. I think all civil engineering professionals, I don't care if you're in land development or, or any aspect of civil engineering, you are going to get in front of an audience at some point, whether it's for project approvals, whether it's for funding, whether it's for a proposal presentation, it's for anything. Public meetings, talk to concerned citizens. And the point about staying calm is really important. And what I try to tell people, in fact, we had this conversation on a previous podcast recently, we were talking about dealing with difficult people, is think of yourself as kind of a mirror or a magnet. So if you come right out of the gate saying, you don't know what you're talking about, this project is going to be helpful for a community, not hurtful, they're going to come out of the gate firing too. They're going to match that intensity. And so to Tracy's point, remaining calm oftentimes will keep the audience calm as well. So think about that in your approach. Think about the fact that you're a magnet and that they're going to mirror you in a sense. The second thing that Tracy mentioned in terms of being accurate is also critically important. And what I would offer on that point is I've seen way too many civil engineers, especially younger civil engineers, because they're under pressure and they feel that they're going to look really bad if they don't have any answer, they throw any answer out and oftentimes answers that are wrong. And that's a big mistake because that's a lot of times it's a public record. Things are on the record. People might take action because of what you're saying in terms of the technical information you're giving them. So as much as it hurts you to do it or it feels inadequate, sometimes it's better to say, listen, it's a great question. I think I might know the answer. I have a pretty good handle on it, but I got to go back to the office. I got to run a couple calculations and we got to make sure that I give you the right information. And whether it's in the middle of a public hearing or whether you're on a, a construction site with a contractor who's standing there saying, I got to shut down my machine unless you give me an answer right now, which I know is a difficult situation. If you're wrong, it could cost your company lots of money. I've seen companies buy drainage structures and curbing and other things because they just wanted to kind of give an answer and feel good that they gave an answer. So... Those are some great points by Tracy that I think all civil engineering professionals need to take to heart and need to think about in their presentations. I agree. All right. So moving on in your career now, I think you said you spent some time international or over yes. uh, overseas or yeah. in another country. Tell us about that. With that same company, I ended up assigned to our first international project, and it was in Venezuela. And I ended up in Venezuela for nine months over the course of 12. Wow. Uh, I was originally slated to go down there for two weeks to train some local engineering partner we had uh, on the use of some testing equipment. The, the project was a baseline hydrology study for a large oil company in the swamp. It was 640 square miles of swamp, and we were trying to study the hydrology 
specifically, we did a little bit of work on actual water movement okay. within the swamp, but most of it is about water quality, water chemistry and water quality. And that two weeks turned into, I think it was four and a half months, the first stint I was down there. And then uh, wow. we came back and uh, there are kind of three seasons there, the wet season, dry season, and then something kind of in between. So uh, ended up three different trips to catch water quality in each season. Um, that was also informative in my career. Uh, it was my first time dealing with international clients and cultures and learning that not everyone operates the way we do in the United States. Right. Uh, different expectations in terms of time, different expectations in terms of deliverable. And our firm did not perform very well financially on that project mm. initially uh, because we didn't go into it with the right expectations. Uh, it was, uh, like I said, very much a learning process. By the time we were done, it, it was working very well, but okay. it was it, we got there in country and didn't know how to get, we thought we understood how to ship equipment in. We didn't know how to ship money in. Okay. Um, and at one point we had a, a payroll that was running on the range of $45,000 a week wow. and had to get money in to pay people. Uh, we were renting boats and helicopters and things, and, and it was a, there was a lot of business administration right, to learn so, in that. Yeah, and that was, was not what I was initially there for, but right. I had to figure it out. So that helped you start to learn some things on the, about the business of engineering. Yes, yeah. Okay. All right, Tracy, and then after that, I believe you had one other stint before you got to land development. Tell us about that. That's correct. I uh, worked for a division of Tyco that did specialty electrical construction. Hmm. My background in school was as a civil engineer, so um, I knew as much as any engineer about electricity, and it was V equals IR, just, yeah. just the basics. I was going to say. Yeah. I, I had the one course. Uh, but it was there purely in a project management role. And, and we had, we manufactured the materials, designed the systems and installed them. But most of the revenue was on the construction side. Okay. So I learned a lot about construction and large project management there. Uh, managed projects literally all over the world. Mm -hmm. Abu Dhabi, the China Sea, and they were small projects. Some of the smaller projects would be... Uh, projects in which we just did design and the client purchased material and maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollars all the way to large construction projects. Uh, largest one I did was outside of Philadelphia, had 250 union laborers on it, and wow. about a $28 million project. Wow. So were you in the field or what was your role? I, again, primarily a pure project management, project management role. Okay. And so I made a handful of uh, site visits okay. and project trips, but had a superintendent in the field and we had very good superintendents and they managed the field side. Gotcha. So it was, it was almost all office. All right. So then at that point in your career, you come into land development mm -hmm. and does that happen here? As you said, is that your no, first? Okay. No, it happened here in Austin at a, at a small firm. Okay. So you started a small firm in Austin in land development. When you get into it, do you feel like, you know, this is something that I like? What were you thinking? So I actually, the change I was trying to make was I had worked at a medium-sized firm, about 2,500 people. Okay. And they got acquired by another public, another firm, larger, publicly traded. Mm -hmm. And it became 5,000. And they acquired another firm. And it became about eight or 9,000. Wow. And by the time I left, it was 15,000. And I didn't like the way that felt. 
So I doubled down on working for big companies by going to work for Tyco, which had 150,000 people. And there were things I liked about it, but there were things I didn't like as well. And so the firm I came to work for in Austin uh, that happened to be in land development. I wasn't intentionally trying to get in land development. I was looking for change and structure. And I think we were about 20, 22 people when I arrived. And uh, we grew that firm to uh, low 50s uh, before the recession in in 2008 Mm. and uh, shrunk back then to the mid 20s and then grew that firm back to low 30s before we sold it to another engineering firm that was about 500 people. And then um, I've learned as much in my career about what size firm and what culture I like working with. Okay. And that's an important aspect of any company. And you can make a small firm feel huge and impersonal, and you can make a big company feel family style in in how you run and manage it. Hmm. And I would say to that, and hopefully you'll agree that that's something that, you know, every engineer will have to feel out in terms Mm -hmm. of what they're comfortable with. Exactly. But it is, it can be a very important aspect of your overall career enjoyment. Right. And so for you, it sounded like you had a good feeling that you wanted to be in a smaller Mm -hmm. company, so to speak, or at least that family style culture. But I'm just curious in terms of the work, the land development work, was it something that you knew early on when you got into it that it was something that you liked? I did, yes. Pretty early on and starting with that firm here in Austin. And the things I like about it is Every project is different. We work across such a wide array of jurisdictions Mm -hmm. in land development, and you can go literally a mile down the road and and the rules change because you're in a different city, you're in a different county. Uh, Here in Austin, we have a lot of uh, environmental protective rules, and so you'll move, the rules will change when you move from one watershed to a different watershed. And that kind of variety is is interesting to me. I'm not drawn to the cookie cutter. Yeah, no, that's good. And I listen, I know that not all of our uh, listeners, of course, are inland development. But what I like to hear from what Tracy has talked to us about so far is I think every civil engineer has to go through a period of what do I want to do with my career? Because there's so many options for civil engineers. Mm-hmm. I mean, geotech, you can go into land development, you could focus just on stormwater, you can get into sanitary stuff, you can go into an mm-hmm. environmental branch. And it's okay to be unclear mm-hmm. of where you're going. I mean, this yeah. is obvious. Tracy's didn't end up in land development within the couple of first couple of years of his career. But all of those experiences that he had, he took things out of each one of them. Yeah. And eventually when he found what he did like and the company culture that he liked, he was able to kind of wrap it all together. Yeah. And so I think that that's an important part of what we're talking about here. The other thing I want to ask you about, Tracy, because we, you and I talked about this a little bit before we started here was... The importance of having sound technical knowledge mm-hmm. in your field yeah. in order to become a successful manager. Because a lot of civil engineers that I talk to that are younger, I think you said you've seen the same. Mm-hmm. They're anxious, interested, and excited about getting into management, right? which is great. However, the best managers that I've seen have had the technical background and experience. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree completely. I'm even seeing uh, college students on their resumes, you know, they want to want a role that leads them into project management. And I don't know that they even know what that means oftentimes. Right. It sounds neat. And I think I did the same thing. Sure, yeah. Project management is a different set of skills. Uh, and not everybody's cut out for it. In order to manage something, best managers are going to understand what it is they're managing. And think about trying to have someone explain to you how to do something you know how to do. 
right. you know, what, whatever it may be. And even if it's a symbol, a piece of furniture, you know, right. so assemble some Ikea furniture, right. someone that is telling you how to do it, who's never done it before. They're going to really struggle on explaining to you how to do it. Sure. They're going to struggle in explaining to you how to solve a problem when you come across it. It's really better to have somebody that knows what they're doing, leading people. And, yeah. and, and that's part of project management is leading the team. The other part of project management, which really makes it uh, something that people need to get, they need to get some technical experience, understanding what they're doing, and evaluate what things they enjoy. Because project managers take a step away from the design, a, a step away from the things we went to school to learn how to do, right. to do other things and practice a different skill set that not everyone has. And, and that skill set is managing scope, schedule, and budget. Yep. And a huge part of it is communication. You have to, in order to be a really good project manager, you're the person who is going to get to work in the morning and look at, here are all the things I need to do. And one of them is check this set of design calculations that my staff did. One is check on the budget of my projects. And one is calling that client up about the project that's going to be late because this thing went wrong. Right. And the person who's a good project manager, even if none of us wants to make that phone call, they're going to make that phone call first. They're not going to put it off and find excuses so it doesn't happen that morning before lunch. It doesn't happen that afternoon, and maybe I'll do it the next day. They're the person who's going to go, I got to get this out of the way first. Right. You know, and they're also going to look at the budget. And then they're going to say, you know, I really want to review these technical calculations, but there's somebody else on my team who can do that. I'm going to delegate that to them to do. So getting into project management is, and you will still do and apply your technical skills sure. in solving problems, but you're, you're making a decision to take a step back and away from the things we went to school to do and learned to really manage and put that part of your job first. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think, and again, I'm not trying to tell you as a civil engineer not to be, you know, aggressive and motivated and have big goals. I think you should do that. And I, I'm also a fan of, you know, kind of jumping into the fire where you can volunteering and learning things. But at the same time, I think getting the technical experience, going through the technical aspects of projects, making mistakes, fixing mistakes, doing all that stuff will make you a much more valuable manager. So if you have to make a decision like, you know, should I do one more year of technical work before I really start taking on management stuff? It's maybe a good idea because it will help you in the long term, you know, to maybe be a better manager because you've seen more stuff. Mm -hmm. We so, talked about that thing of being in front of people and giving them an answer that's incorrect. Right. Some of that can be driven by you don't really have the technical experience. You right. don't have that behind you. So you, it, People tend to cover insecurities by talking too much sometimes. Right. And if you don't have the experience and you get put in that spotlight situation in a city council meeting with people who are asking questions, you're, you're even more likely to give an answer you're not sure of because you're not sure of the answer, which is a strange feedback loop that people get into. But the more technical experience you have, the more likely, one, you are to have the self-confidence in yourself yeah. to say, yeah, let me check on that. Because yeah. you know that you know the material. You're confident in yourself. It's when you're not confident in your own background that you're more likely to kind of take that leap that you shouldn't. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, your technical experience and knowledge definitely has a direct correlation to your confidence level. Mm -hmm. And that confidence level is what allows you to communicate effectively and clearly and calmly with people. And so that's the chain that can be broken if you don't have that technical experience. And I have seen... Many younger engineers that I've seen not do well in management comes back to their confidence. Mm -hmm. 
They're just not confident enough in themselves, and everybody sees that. Remember, when you're leading a team, the team is looking to you to lead them. So if they look at their leader and their leader's not confident, they're not going to be confident. It's contagious. So let's talk a little bit about management for a minute. So mm-hmm. you manage the land development uh, team, the sector mm-hmm. here at Doucette yes. & Associates, which branches across multiple geographic locations. Correct. So maybe you can just talk a little bit about some of the things that you've learned in terms of managing teams in different locations. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you've had to do to do that successfully? First, a, a quick aside, I, I think there's a, a big difference between management and leadership. And leadership is something that I strive for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a little bit different than management. Management is the you know measurement of performance, assignment of tasks, right. and it's very impersonal yeah, and cold. Leadership is very personal. Leadership inspires people. And both uh, have their challenges across different geographies uh, when you have different offices. It's helping people feel in tune and connected to the organization is challenging. We use a lot of uh, technology. Skype is wonderful, the web meeting formats. Trying to train people in in what's available and get them comfortable with it really takes a hands-on approach. I don't get to the other offices as often as I would like to, but I make it a point to go uh, to them and spend a day there, even if I'm just sitting in an empty a cubicle there or in the conference room so they see me and it creates an opportunity to ask informal questions that may not come up other times. You're available. I'm available, yes. We do regular uh, conference calls and depending upon the need, we'll do Skype meetings, uh, screen shares to work on projects. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second mm-hmm. with the conference calls. Is that something you do on a weekly basis or what does that look like? Each, so I've got land development because of the size of it, close to 30 people. I've got it broken into three teams. Okay. There is one team that is solely here in our Austin Oak Hill office. There's another team that is split between our Williamson County office and our uh, Austin Oak Hill office. And then there's another team that is our San Marcos and San Antonio offices. And I'm the team leader at San Marcos, San Antonio office, as well as being the division manager. I wanted to keep that under myself because I recognize the challenges of leading a team that's one, not with the mothership here in Oak Hill, but right. also spread out between two other offices itself. And each one of them is small by its own right. Okay, that makes sense. And so, yes, we have a weekly conference call and we do that about monthly. We'll actually all get together either in San Marcos and San Antonio or around the same conference table to meet okay. to you know help them feel like they're one group. Um, is this everybody you're talking about or just the, the team leaders and you? Everybody that's on that team. Okay gets together gotcha. and then we come back once a week and the team leaders meet okay face to face here in uh oak hill we do have a conference call number set up for that so if there's somebody that can't be here for some reason it's out remote they can call in okay most of the time with those we're just doing conference calls very rarely is there a need for a, a web meeting screen share environment okay. but we have that everyone has that ability if there's a need Okay. Yeah. And I ask you about that because I know sometimes meetings get a bad rap, Mm -hmm. but I think that they're important. And if you run them properly, they can be a very effective tool to keeping people on the same page and keeping Mm -hmm. everybody productive. Uh, So it sounds like you have a great setup for that. I think the other point that you can take out of what Tracy is explaining here is that every team is going to be different. And you need to chart out what's going to work best. Like he had to make the strategic decision of one, splitting them into groups of 10 
And then secondly, saying, I need to be the leader for this team because it's smaller offices, they're separate. And so he took on the team lead role for that, which again, goes to the point that yes, there's some, you could take a training and stuff on project management, but there's also a people management component of it that you need to think about that's not going to have a book that you follow along and read and tell you exactly what to do. It's going to be experience driven. It's going to be getting a feel for people and things and knowing who he can have as a team lead in one geographic region. But in this region, I think I need to take this because of the circumstances. It's a good thing to think about as a manager is what's your strategy for effectively running your team, Mm -hmm. whether it's five people or whether it's 30 people. Because I do think the meetings are effective, but you need to run meetings that are effective for your team and you have to set it up the right way. So um, I think that's a good takeaway for people, mm-hmm. Tracy, especially from what you've just explained to us is you have to have a strategy that works for you mm-hmm. and your team. Yeah. And how you pick those teams is important. How you assign people. I look for people that are instinctively firefighters. Uh, and you'll find in any field, but it happens in civil engineering as well, there are people that when there is something blows up, right. there are people that run from it. There are people yeah. that stand there and stare at it. And there are people that grab a bucket and run towards it. And people are different. And sure. we don't need an organization that is 100% firefighters, but every team needs a firefighter. And that's the person that grabs the bucket, grabs the person next to them, and goes to deal with whatever the problem is. Because as much as we, we like to think that good, strong technical abilities and good, strong project management will lead to success, and it will, a big part of it is how we deal with the problems. Because right. Every project is going to run into some kind of stumbling block, some kind of unforeseen design element, some curveball thrown to us by the client or by the permitting entity. Mm-hmm. And your ability to deal with those is hugely important to the success of the project and the team. And so every team needs people on it or someone on it that is that instinctive firefighter that's like, okay, I got this. Right. That's great. No, I love that. What we're going to do here, just actually quickly just to summarize, because mm-hmm. we got some good points so far. We talked a lot about the importance of getting exposure in a public arena and getting up in mm-hmm. front of people and speaking. We talked about remaining calm in those situations. And we also talked about being accurate. And a lot of that accuracy will come from building your technical knowledge over time, mm-hmm. which will also help bolster your confidence. We also talked about putting yourself in different situations. Tracy had international experience, which helped him to learn a little bit more about the business side of engineering. So don't think you need to have your whole career as a civil engineering professional mapped out from day one because that rarely happens. And quite frankly, a lot of the stuff that you will do leading up to your permanent job down the road is going to be helpful for that job in the long run. And then we talked about having a strong technical background will help you as a manager and not skipping over that part of your career because you need those technical skills. You won't be able to get them back if you don't get them when you're young. And then lastly, we kind of just got a little bit into management and thinking about different strategies and thinking about how to set up your team and things that you have to think about. What we're going to do now is I'm going to come back in a minute with Tracy and we're just going to finish up by putting him on the civil engineering hot seat. That's right. (laughs) And just peppering him a little bit on his own professional development decisions. We'll be back in a minute. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our Civil Engineering Hot Seat segment with Tracy Bratton from Doucette & Associates. Today's Hot Seat segment is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. Are you ready to advance in your career but aren't sure how to move forward? The first step is getting your civil engineering license. I understand studying for your FE Civil, PE Civil, or SE exam can be daunting. 
So why not partner with PPI, a company who has helped over 4 million engineers, including myself, pass their licensure exam and become leaders in their fields. PPI offers licensure exam prep courses for the FE Civil, PE Civil, and SE exams. So no matter where you are on your path to career advancement, you can count on PPI's support. Right now, PPI is enrolling students for their FE Civil, PE Civil, and SE prep courses with a $500 early bird discount. PPI prep courses provide you with NCEES approved exam materials, access to instructors during class time and office hours, exam day tips, and a passing guarantee. Enroll before May 23rd to take advantage of the $500 early bird discount. Don't miss out on taking the first step towards making 2019 a great year for you professionally. These are the best prep courses offered at the lowest price of the year. Visit ppi2pass.com forward slash prep course to find your exam. That's ppi, the number two, p-a-s-s.com slash p-r-e-p-c-o-u-r-s-e. Be ambitious, go prepared, get licensed. Anthony Fasano from the Engineering Management Institute. I'm back here at Doucette and Associates with Tracy Bratton, and we had a good main segment of the podcast talking about management and other things, but now it's time to put Tracy on the civil engineering hot seat. So here we go. First question. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day, Tracy? For example, do you have a specific morning ritual or lunchtime ritual, something you do consistently on a regular basis that has contributed to your success? It's consistent, but not daily. I, okay. I set aside a sacred time of the day to do certain activities. When I was in a role as a project manager, I set aside Friday. And Friday, I was going to review and catch up on all my projects. You know, Don't answer the phone. Don't look right. at email. Close the door and make sure, look at each project and go, okay, what were the deliverables? Did I get them done? What has to happen next week? Mm. Do I have any problems with scope, schedule, and budget that I need to document, send change orders, communicate with the client with? You can get caught up in the rat race of responding to staff at your door that need questions answered, clients calling needing help, and not pay attention to those things. They kind of get pushed to the side. Mm. Now, as a division manager, I have activities that are they're sacred that, you know, again, my approach has always been once a week rather than daily. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but once a week, I set aside and, and throughout my career, for some reason, I picked Fridays as that day. <laughs> Monday could be your day, you know, that I look at, okay, what's my staff situation look like? Are people busy? Are people utilized? Do I have any projects or project managers that I think need extra attention, need help, look at kind of the financial picture going on in the division to make sure that we're doing what it is we need to do and we're going to hit our goals. Okay. Uh, so setting aside that time, because not, few of us will ever get away from also doing technical work. I'm a division manager, right. but I have people in my door all the time asking questions about, hey, I have this design challenge going on. Sure. What's your opinion? And those things can start to overwhelm you and take you away from the other parts of your job. So you communicate that to your team that this day I'm going to be doing this stuff? or I don't. Okay. It's just my decision, and it's really more about self-discipline. Okay. I mean, I'm there. Somebody can knock on the right. door. So I'm can always going to answer. But you're answer. focused on that stuff. Yeah, but okay. I, I choose to close Outlook and not be looking at email every 30 seconds for the new email. Um, right. Close the door and focus. 
All right, next question. What is one book that you might recommend to engineers or just one book that you have found to be extremely helpful in your professional or personal development? Yeah. What got you here won't get you there. Uh, I don't, Smith, I believe. There you go. Yeah. And it's really good on that career progression. Those things that made you a great technical engineer won't make you a good project manager. Right. You know, it's the it's things that made you a good project manager won't make you a good division manager. They, the skills change. And, and not only recognizing that the skills need to change, but also asking yourself, do I want to do those things? You right. know, it's easy to look up the career ladder and go, oh, I want to get there and I want to get there and I want to get there. You're truly going to be happy when you figure out what it is you enjoy doing and accept that role. And it may not be all the way to the top of the corporate ladder. Right. Uh, those may not be the skills and things you enjoy doing. And trying to, to do them, if they're not innate to you and you don't want to do them, will set you up for failure. Yeah, no, And your organization up for failure. Yeah, for sure. It's a great book. And we've had other guests mention it as well because it's true. I mean, what got you to be a manager is not going to get you to the next level in your career. But, you know, remembering that. And that even goes for some of the rituals, just like the last question mm -hmm. we talked about. You might still be able to set aside a day, but you're not going to focus on the same things you focused on when you were at another right. position, right? So you have to remember, some of your habits may still be good, but they might have to slightly change to adjust to your new position. All right, two more questions. Next one, you've had several managers in your career. Mm -hmm. If you think of maybe your favorite manager, one of your favorite managers, what was it that made that person special as a manager? What jumps out for you? Is manager who worked under me or someone I worked under? Someone that you worked for. Really my first manager out of college. He did a great job at taking personal time to talk to you. To help you out. Yeah. Even to the point of when I, you know, I had interviewed with the company and it was a company of about 2,500 people, an mm -hmm. office of about 50 people. Okay. And uh, he took the time to call me personally on a Saturday to make the job offer. You know, That's awesome. And it was like, wow, this is important. Very busy guy. He's managing an All office right. of 50 people coming and going here and there. And my office was fairly close to his. And uh, he was often there late. And uh, I, as a young engineer right out of school, was there late. That was putting in a lot of hours. My cubicle was also right next to the printer. And so I'd pick up stuff off the printer and I'd take the time to, oh, hey, this is Mike. So I'd carry it in his office and hand right. it to him. And uh, he took the time to go, hey, you brought this to me. Will you help read this? I need a, just a QA read on it, make sure. No, I didn't understand it better than he did. Right. But just having an independent read on something to make sure that it makes sense. Because when we write stuff, sometimes we know what we're trying to say. Right. And we leave words out. Sure. You know, and that led quickly to him you know, taking a special interest in my career and asking me to then, hey, well, will you write this proposal for me? So he was just very good at taking time and yeah. attention out to give to people. That's great. No, it's good mm -hmm. to hear you say that because that's obviously means that that's something that you remembered. It was important, mm -hmm. that interaction, yes. which you went out of the way to do. All right. This is the last question here. If you were to get into an elevator with a mm -hmm. civil engineer yeah. and you had 30 seconds with him or her and you had to give pointed career advice, mm -hmm. what would it be? Figure out what it is you like to do. Get yourself a breadth of experience. Figure out what it is you like to do. Do something long enough to be good at it. Help bring others along with you. We've talked some about management mm -hmm. and, and mentoring and does not happen when you have a big title next, next to your name. Right. Uh, you can help other engineers along the way. Uh, you can be a two-year EIT and help that new college graduate, and you will put yourself 
in their minds in a leadership position to help grow them. And I recognize staff who have become natural leaders because people naturally gravitate to them to ask questions. Those people are rising in the ranks. And it's not through being granted a title, it's through others recognizing their skills and their willingness to help others. That's great. All right, there you have it. Tracy Bratton from Doucette mm-hmm. Associates here in Austin on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to either on iTunes Audio or on our YouTube channel if you'd like to get these by video. Tracy, thanks so much for coming on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Tracy today. I certainly enjoyed my visit to Doucette and Associates and to Austin in general. It's a great city with a lot of a lot going on related to civil engineering for sure. And again, a lot of practical advice that I think you can probably use quickly in your civil engineering career. Also, just a reminder to please visit bizofengineering.com. That's B-I-Z of engineering.com. It's a Kickstarter campaign we're running to help publish a book written by a younger engineer that I think is going to be helpful to engineers of all experience levels called The Business of Engineering, A Mindset for the Engineer of the Future really talking about what engineers need to do differently to succeed in the future with changing technology and more complex projects. But more than the book, you can also get our programs and workshops at reduced prices as a reward for supporting the campaign. And one of them is our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop. You can get the on-demand version, which we've sold quite a few of them through the campaign, which we're excited about because we want engineers to get in there get working on those management skills that will change the game in your career. So again, check out bizofengineering.com and please consider supporting the campaign. And if you're looking for some follow-up information on this episode, just visit our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and just look for Civil Engineering Podcast episode 117. There you'll find the show notes for the episode which will have a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 